Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. I'm Ash Rose, and here we are once again talking in This Week in the 90s, and on this week's show, it's turning point for Manchester City. Yes, that playoff final. It's boiling point for Gaza, thanks to Glenn Hoddle. And what was the point? Oh, the Umbro Cup we're talking about back in 1995. All that and loads more to come on This Week in the 90s. This is Jason Summerby, star of the Renford Rejects, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Yes, we're back. We had a week's grace. Uh, scheduling problems wasn't the juiciest week in the 90s. I'll stop making excuses and get the boys back in because they're raring to go. Firstly, he is a social media mogul and he's now he's working on the Crystal Maze, keeping it 90s. Joel Young, how you doing? We're a little bit past the 90s the 90s version of it, though. You know, there's no uh, Richard O'Brien on oh. Temple Tudor this time. It's very celebrity-based. And Richard Ayoade. Whatever the, happened to Richard O'Brien? Richard O'Brien went back to the world of musicals because he wrote the Rocky Horror Picture Show, didn't he, and all that. Oh, right, Went back and did more films and all kind of things like that. So, yeah, there you go. You can tell I've been doing my swatting up. You've done done very well. What about 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 Mumsy? Is Mumsy still in it? Well, Mumsy Mumsy couldn't make the first version of the comeback that was stand-up to cancer, and Maureen Lippman played Mumsy. So there you go. But it's not Mumsy now. There's a whole other cast of people there. It's Jughead. Oh, who is Adam Buxton? Oh, of course. And, uh, Jessica Hines is in it from Spaced and everything. So you know it's very busy. And the first show uh, is the Terry Girls. So I don't know where you've been watching that. Oh yes, I have. Yeah, it is a great yeah. soundtrack as well. Very good soundtrack. So yeah, the Terry Girls are in it first, and they're all about thirty-six, I think. I know. I read that when it was on because they they play their age very very well. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah, no, it's a good show. That um, it's got... very it's very in between as he in yes, terms of its dialogue. It is. Having have relatives in Ireland as well, that I I can see the uh, they've done very well in nailing the the humour in it very well. But um, that's well, it is set in the nineties, so we can't talk about that. Um, Indeed. Also talking about the nineteen nineties, of course, we couldn't do it without him. He is a journalist from many outlets, including the Sportsman. He's a Man United fan as well. Matthew Christ, how are you doing, Matthew? Not the juiciest week of the 90s. Last can well, I apart from you winning. Can I remind you of the great, greatest European Cup final triumph in history? In, yeah, in our defence, I think we've talked about that just a little bit on here. But yeah, other than that, there wasn't really much more to talk about. and I couldn't really... I've, got something, I've got something that you like. Go on. Which actually isn't on our checklist to talk about, but I'll just get it out of the way quickly. Do it. 24 years ago today, Matthew, this mm-hmm. should have been the highlight of the 1990s, the only club side to ever get to number one, Manchester United oh. States Court, yeah. 24 years ago today. Um, come on, you And ready? do you remember who it knocked off the number one spot? Oh, I couldn't. It Would it be something daft like 1994? 94. Oh, God. Acer, uh, Acer, or it, someone like that. No. No, it was Stiltskin. Um, inside, that's terrible. Yeah. Terrible song. I still have the cassette single, I think, somewhere. Oh, I definitely have it. Yeah. Oh, I have the cassette um, single as well. I, 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 bought it. I, I just liked it as a football record. Also, really? <laughs> and also, it was, in the, it was in the book, so I took pictures of it for the book. But yeah, I remember buying it because I thought it was just, yeah. I like the it's novelty a value. song. I mean, it's not even an original song. I mean, Status Quo went out and just basically found a copy of their song. I think it's Burning Bridges, isn't it? Burning Bridges, open brackets, on and off and on again. Close yeah. brackets. And, 
you know, they couldn't even be bothered writing a new song, and yet there they were. And I wonder how much, I wonder what the royalty split was like between. The I bet club. it. I bet it sold a few uh, copies as well and, back then. But, and, and it's like it's that funny thing that the only club side to ever have a number one. That was when all the Liverpool fans from the 1980s then decided there were Manchester United fans in around about 93, so there was an influx of new fans. And everyone in and around are... Wimbledon and Fulham and everywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and somebody in Plumstead who clearly bought the single as well. Not from Burt's, though, going, harking back to the last time we were on. <laughs> he, didn't, <laughs> he, did, he didn't do CD singles, no. That was what more. was it? Woolworths? Uh, our, our Price or... was probably the one in Woolwich yeah. High Street. I used to, yeah, Our Price. I used to get a CD single every Monday. So that was probably because it was the only one out that week that I would heard of so and it was football so i was like oh yeah you know smart or bruce parker palestine and all that yeah i remember all that yeah but that's 24 years ago cool i'm surprised mr lambert hasn't tweeted that out today maybe i'll pip into the punch on on that one um, and, and credit you of course joe because i always credit people that i would never not credit somebody in tweeting on ak90s follow us by the way at ak90s um but that's a good way to start because i didn't have that on my list but that is good to know still can't believe i think there'll be another couple of them in the next couple of weeks yeah. because we have a well, it must have been a records. must have been a really busy day on the set of uh, Crystal Maze if you're <laughs> plucking <laughs> no, those yeah, uh, yeah. plucking those nuggets out of this out of the sky. Where did, I just happened to I just happened to see it. Where did um, Bob Mortimer? Where did that reach in the charts? Oh, forty-seven or something. Something really, really bad. Yeah, yeah, something really bad. But yeah, forty-seven. <laughs> I don't. I think there's that... quite a nice thing on. There's quite a nice thing on. Um, uh, is it on Dave or something at the minute? The forty, the forty-seven best worst football songs. Oh, is it? I haven't seen that. Yeah, and it's it's just a talking heads thing, but all about lots and lots of football songs, all of which we covered in the podcast talking about music. Cool, about that was two a time ago. ago. Yeah, we need to go and pitch these these themed things as television shows to people, mate. That's the thing. Yeah, they're just stealing. Gary out. Lineker is making a bloody fortune off the History Channel. At I the know. Moment. I've watched. I was just about to mention that. I watched a um their Italian ninety one a couple of nights ago, which is very good. But yeah, I mean, who'd thought well, there's money in the nineties? Oh, we ain't finding much of it, are we? We just got the ideas, <laughs> not not the money. But there may be more to come. Stay tuned on that. Um, well, maybe more for uh, the outlet, not really about the money. But still, we're doing it for our pleasure of the decade. And with that in mind, let's hark back to this week in the 90s. Um, we're kicking off with Manchester City um, in a decade where they weren't the juggernaut that they are today and the, the money men of Manchester and the title winners and the Pep Guardiola's superstars. But back on the 30th of May, 1999, they were in the Division 2. Now, this is third tier as it is, so what is that now? League 1 uh, uh, sorry, uh, playoff final against Gillingham. Now, this game is kind of looked back on as the turning point for Manchester City because they went up on this, and it's obviously their road to what the Manchester City we, uh, we know now. But it made bloody hard work of it. If you don't know the story already, it was against Gillingham. There was no goals in this game until the 81st minute where Gillingham went ahead through Carla Saba, great name of the lower league name of the 90s, um, when it, and scored again in the 87th minute. They were, so Man City were 2-0 down with three minutes ago, clawed their way back in, and then won on penalties. It's uh, one of those kind of, yeah, memorable moments of the 90s. Right at the end, wearing a disgustingly Kappa kit as well, that horrible glow, day glow, fluorescent yellow. I was expecting you to be a fan of that kit. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm a fan in its originality, but I, I just, you know, there were, this, this was a thing at the time, the fluorescent yellow, because QPR had an away kit of the same colour, which I still own. And it's still, it still is own away, isn't it? I mean, Liverpool have had a couple like that the last couple of years, haven't it, they? Yeah. The yellow one or the orange. I've had a couple of luminous they, ones. Yeah, New Balance seems to be bringing it back, but that particular yellow was very in in the 90s. And yeah, I don't know, initially, I think it was a bit too busy with the the, the stripes as well, but I can see why. <laughs> it comes you... to something, it comes to something if you're saying it's busy. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's one of the very few ones. I just, yeah, just the colour clash didn't work for me. Um, but I'm, you guys, let's get your memories of this game or what you've taken from it in, uh, in years since. They haven't looked back today, I imagine. Kevin Hurlock and, of course, Paul Dickoff getting that 95th minute winner. Let's get the Man United man's uh, point of view, first of all. Matthew, what your memories of this game and, and the turning point it was in Manchester City's history? Well, seeing as we're brushing over United scoring two late goals in the European Cup final in just a matter of days before this game, um, let's talk about the second team from Manchester to uh, score two goals in the dying minutes of a of a final. It had happened three times this season, actually. If you can, do you remember the third high-profile ninety-fifth minute goal of this season? Oh, that's a good one. Ninety-fifth um, minute. There wasn't in the League Cup final, was it? No, no, it wasn't a final. Oh. It may as well have been. Certain goalkeeper going up for a... Oh, with Jimmy Glass. Yes, we've already yeah, talked about that. So, yeah. So it's a bit of a, se- a season for late goals. But it's funny you say that. Off the top of my head, I've forgotten how it was. Um, it was nil-nil for so long in this mm, game. Me Obviously, too. I knew the, I knew the, the the backstory of it, and I watched it again for research purposes. Um, unlike watching old episodes of Crystal Maze, but. Um, <laughs> And New well, episodes, mate. I was watching. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll let you off. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I forgot how late City uh, Gillingham scored to what everyone thought at the time was to confirm their promotion. None more so than Alan Brazil, who was in the commentary box at the time. It was a great forgotten co-commentator of the '90s. Was Alan Brazil, and um, but also how City really dominated this game and could and should have have won it. I think they mentioned Vince. Bartram, the Gillingham keeper, yeah. was voted man of the Used match. Used to be, a, wasn't he like second keeper at Arsenal? He was indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it was a classic. I think a lot of people watching it thought it was a classic sort of City uh, failure, so to speak, or not not take their chance. I think they would have obviously been favourites going into the game. Um, I couldn't tell you what the league position. Uh, I can. Uh, yeah, can. Well, there you go. Yeah. Someone's I done can. their research. Fulham but, finished top and Walsall the second. Oh yeah, yeah. And then City were City were third. Yeah, so City would have obviously been the, the City would have obviously been going uh, going into that as favourites. But uh, and judging by looking back at the the highlights, they uh, they were by far the better team, I think. And uh, but against the run of play, Gillingham did what uh, pretty much everyone thought was enough to clinch promotion to whatever we're calling it now. It's gone from the second division to the first division to. Whatever it is now, is it? So this was the, the yeah, old. This is League this One is going up to yeah. yeah. One. Um, and uh, but obviously not. And uh, my old mate Sean Gota storms through and uh, gets tackled only for. Is it uh, Tony H- Terry Hall? Not Terry Hallock. Kevin Hall. Oh, Kevin Hall. Kevin Hall. I was thinking of the old Mill midfielder. Yeah. Kevin Hallock to uh, pull City back into the game, but obviously people think it's a little bit too little too late. But uh, that was until. Paul Dickoff cropped up and uh, and levelled the game. And watching again, do the first clang. Yes, the first clang of the podcast. Go on. When I talked to Paul Dickoff about this, (laughs) (laughs) hang on a minute, hang on a minute, because I mentioned Sean Goat and I've driven his car. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. We need a sound. We need we need a sound effect for these name drops, don't we? Yeah. uh, What would what did Paul Dickoff say then, Joe? Yeah. What did what did Paul Dickoff say? I think they were talking about you know the most important goal in. City's history, and and obviously, I think most people would say the Aguero goal, obviously. Um, but you know, there there is that school of thought that we have already said that that the Aguero goal 
even though City got relegated, I think they got promoted again up to the Premier League, then they got relegated, and then under Keegan, they went back up in the yeah. early 2000s. But, the, you know, there is this argument from a lot of City fans that I understand that the Aguero goal doesn't happen without the Paul Bickoff mm, goal. I agree. Do you think, that, do you think, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, I think this team was, you know, you still had some re- reasonable names in it at that point. I think if they had stayed down that season, the likes of Nicky Weaver and sort of even Sean Gota, Terry Cook would have probably left. And I don't know if they may have struggled. Because once you, I mean, having been there as a QPR fan, you know, Borough haven't have gone that low in the in the recent times, have they, Joel? But having been in that division... Mm, 32 fan, years. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a torrid league to get to be in. And once you're there, and if you're there too long, it's look at the teams like Coventry and, and, and other teams and Oldham that have never really come back. So, I don't know. Swindon Town. Yeah, it, it may, they may have done it the season after. Some teams do the, the bounce back after losing in the playoff final. But I fear that they could have really... That could have been a long stretch and we may not have seen Aguero at, you know, against QPR. Yeah. And, and, and I have to mention that. We stayed up, we stayed up that day. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know because when when it was confirmed, you gave up basically. I seem to remember. <laughs> well, Sean, Sean Derry always says they didn't know the right side of the right well, the side fans of the pitch, did because yeah. they were celebrating yeah, when the, the goal went in. The right side of the pitch knew, but I, the guys in the middle and on the left side didn't know, so they were gutted when that goal went in because they thought they were down. And it wasn't until they looked to the bench and I think Jamie Mackey was like, "No, it's fine. Stoke didn't beat Bolton. Or Stoke, they drew, I think it was in the end. But yeah, that's 2012 for you. But yeah, so keep it nice. I mean, of course. If my team, if my team were in the playoff final and went two 0 up in the eighty sixth minute, you know, I'd have to look at the manager. Of yeah, the and who side. was that manager that day? And I, I can't, like, you know, the manager. I can't imagine the Middlesbrough manager ever getting into a like the present Middlesbrough manager ever getting into a situation like being two 0 up like that, and then have that happen to them. Of mm. course. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because Pulis has got such a reputation of being this sort of, you know, resilient guy that can stave off the relegation, what have you. But he was two. His side were tuning up with what two, four minutes, minutes up, to go, yeah. four yeah. minutes to go, and and he and they blew it. So it's funny how he's gained that reputation. Obviously, this was a long time ago, so he's yeah, gained that twenty years ago now. Gained the reputation in the years since. But you think of all people to see out a game like that mm. with uh, so little time on the clock and. City, City seemingly um, down and out. That um, it would have been him because it was hardly he was hardly the most sort of gung ho manager. Even well, he certainly isn't now. But, um, but even then, then, yeah. So mm. it's, uh, it's it's strange, isn't it? I tell you what. What did, speaking going back to Aguero, just the mention of his name. Did you see the Aguero lookalike who was celebrating when Dickoff got his uh, got his <laughs> no, I didn't. Go I'll have to go back, to, to go back and watch. There's a guy who's like the double of Aguero starts spinning what I think is a scarf, but it could be his coat around his head. But he's got a very Aguero look about him, so it's worth going and having a look at that. Preempted move for Sergio Aguero. There's um, there's some little quirks about this game as well, though. Because oh, here we go. I was going to say this. I've got this written down. Paul Dickoff and Vince Bartram. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so Vince best, Bartram, best man, best man at their wedding. At their wedding. Yeah. Best men, best, best men. men. Each yeah. other's yeah. wedding. Oh, best friends. So that's friends. Quite, friends. That was quite nice. Um, and also the fact that I didn't, I didn't realise until I watched that today that Paul Dickoff actually missed the penalty in the shootout. Yeah, and, and what a yeah. miss as well. Yeah. Hit both posts, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Not, not as bad as uh, Anthony Pennock for Gillingham, whose shot went ridiculously Jeff Thomas like wide. Um, no, that clip, did it not clip the post and go wide? Oh, or was that my eyes deceiving me? I thought it hit the outside no, of the post. No, it's fired, fired. It's, it's, yeah, because they didn't show a replay on one the the, uh, the the show reel that I saw. So I did want I did want to see it from a different angle anyway. But it did look like it went way wide. Um, Guy Butters, then another lower league legend. He missed the what a name. Yeah, he played for Butters. Tottenham. He played for Tottenham in the uh, 
old first division, didn't he? Uh, I think early in his career, yeah. I remember him as a lo- more of a lo- lower league guy in, in that sort of... He was, you know, at, he was at Gillingham as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is Gillingham. Yeah, this is Gillingham. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. No, I'm thinking about where, where he went after um, after Tottenham. He was definitely, definitely played for Tottenham, I'm sure. Yeah. We'll have to look it up. Andy Hessenthal in that team as well, who, of course, is Mr. Gillingham anyway. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Is, is he still there? Um, he was manager. I don't think he's there. No, he was manager. He, managed it, yeah. he went back Gosh. 19 times, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Carla Sabra, as I mentioned, Robert Taylor. So, yeah, it was a very much... Uh, and the other quirk about this, um, it was the Jill's first appearance at Wembley, City's 11th. Um, it, and it was the latest goal scored at the old Wembley, the 95th goal. It was the latest goal scored in normal time. I think that's still a record. I don't. I, I had tried to triple-check that, but that's still the only reference I can find. That, that was the latest goal ever scored in a game at the old Wembley before it was uh, torn down and the uh, the arch went up. Still prefer the Twin Towers, but yeah, a very, very yeah. memorable game. That's something I noticed watching the game back is how much I just like that old Wembley mm, Stadium. Yeah. Yeah, as, much as, as much as they got rid of the old, um, the old goal nets, which I used to love with the green stanchion that were there for about 100 years. But it just it just... I was watching the playoffs at the weekend, and obviously there's a lot to do with being a bit older and uninterested, but just watching this game back made it just look so much more interesting because it was at the old Wembley, whereas you watch playoff games now and it's just so hard to... I think, that's, I think that's more down to the amount of stuff we see at Wembley rather than yeah. the amount of games we see full stop because I'm going to go against this grain and say I think the old Wembley was an absolute hole. <laughs> well, it was. Well, I know yeah. it was. It was a hell hole. <laughs> it was, but it was still much more recognisable and much more traditional, wasn't it? I mean, it was a hole, but I just, I love watch games back from the old old Wembley and I just think it's just, I don't know, it could be just because, like you say, I've seen a lot more games since, but I, I could remember a lot more cup finals and a lot more games at the old Wembley than I could the new, i tell you that. I think I think playoff games, especially the championship playoff game, are, are more tense in this modern age as well because of the amount of money. Yeah, well, I have, I, I'm going to do a Joel now and say I had this da- written down in my notes. But, um, you know, <laughs> the, the, the 90s, well, certainly the sort of late 80s and, the, and then the 90s onwards, the playoff games were great just to sit down Bonkers. and yeah. watch. They were just completely nuts. I mean, you had the Leicester-Swindon game. You had, you know, all these kind of games where the, they basically the Sunderland the four all Charlton yeah. it was just it was like they just threw complete caution to the wind which is ridiculous when you think about it now as, as what's up for st- what's at stake but now it's they've obviously cottoned on now in the last sort of 10 years or so but watching this game I, I was thinking what an absolute bonkers game it was but then you could probably think that over the that the five year period of the, the the last five years of the 90s the the playoff finals were probably all you know, they must have all had an average goal, but goal count. I think wasn't there a Bolton three or four? Bolton four, Reading three. Yeah, that's the one yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah, Reading was two or three and up, weren't they? And then Bolton came back, and yeah, yeah. just. Well, we did a show. We did a show on playoff finals. Go back in the archive and, and listen to those. We had uh, uh, Richard Foster, who's the uh, author of the playoff book, which gets revamped every season. I saw him on Twitter tweeting about it over the weekend. So yeah, we did. Then we talked about it on that show. How how great compared to the FA Cup finals, the playoff finals were in that uh, decade. And I think it's because. Although there was still a promotion to play for, there wasn't this what of the sky build it up hundred million pound football game or whatever, especially the, the championship one, as I said. So maybe that's but, why. But, but relatively, it's still the same, though, isn't it? I mean, you still yeah. want to get up. Still yeah. get, I mean, you're not going to think, oh well, we don't care because we're not going to get. I mean, what was it I heard at the weekend? Two hundred ninety million quid, or something mm-hmm. stupid. I mean, it was started off at fifty million, and now it just goes up 
by about 100 million every year, doesn't it? But I dread to think what QPR did with that from 2014. Um, anyway, let's move on from the playoffs and talk uh, England. We are in an England mood. And if you haven't already downloaded our last full-length show, it went down quite well, actually. We had a few of you got involved uh, where Joe was on the show and we picked our uh, England squad of the 90s. Um, go back and listen to that. It was, uh, it was fun. And some names got in there that I didn't think would do, including one up front. Um, and Sid Lambert, <laughs> who also joined us, tried to, to tried very hard to get some really odd names in there. I appreciate the debate, but Mark Haley is never getting into my bloody England squad, Sid. Um, but talking England, uh, we're talking 31st of May 1998. Uh, the big story here was Glenn Hoddle and picking his final England squad for the World Cup in France of that year. Um, there's only one headline. It's the headline you all know that's coming. Paul Gascoigne was omitted from his England squad. Um the sort of background to this, there was uh, they were training in La Manga. Gaza was photographed falling drunk at a restaurant, eating a kebab at 2 a.m. How very dare he? Um, there was problems with his relationship with his wife at the time, with Cheryl. He was late for the team bus to Morocco. All this kind of led to Glenn Hoddle deciding he wasn't right so for his England squad. He said physically he wasn't 100% and mentally he was all over the place, he said uh, in his autobiography. And, uh, and Gaza was no more. Um, we'll go on to a few more details now, but Joe, at the time, he was a Borough player. So what what were your makings of this, having seen him at the time, closer than probably me or Matthew did? Did Gaza deserve to go, or was it probably the right call for Glenn? Yeah, I think going on club form, it was probably the right call. But um, I would have taken him anywhere because I think in the last 20 minutes, bring him on, change the game, and you know then he's going to be busting a gut because... The proudest thing in his life was playing for England. Yeah. I think outside of outside of his family, and we all—I mean—the problems he had with his family at that time, you know. But it, probably the time where he could felt he could let himself go and 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 properly express himself was when he had an England shirt on. So, um, in terms of what he did for us, which you know, as I've said many times here, wasn't much. Um, I think I think he was a worthwhile gamble to take. Mm, yeah, I do. Matthew, you're in Glen Hoddle's shoes and looking at that 1998 squad and what happened. Would you have taken Gaza? Wow, it's still it's still one of the most sort of controversial omissions, isn't it, in mm. English football in history? I mean, it's just a classic case of sort of talent over temperament, really, isn't it? I mean, you can see absolutely why Glen Hoddle didn't take him because I mean, you've got to remember how much he was really caning it at this time, and I'm, Joe, I'm sure, could tell us. A few stories that we wouldn't know, but we were discussing one today actually the story about um, Paul Merson and Gaza challenging each other to uh, take sleeping pills and drink red wine, mm. and then the first yeah. one who fell asleep lost. And that was yeah. that time, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm the first one to. I'm the first one to say, you know, say how much I enjoyed that and how much it's missing from the game. I'm, I'm only, I'm sort of playing devil's advocate or, or thinking from Hoddle's point of view that he must have seen all this going on and, and you know we're a good three or four years on from obviously this all kind of blew up in uh, Euro 96 didn't it and it got a hell of a lot of, of uh, sort of press coverage and he must have just thought is it worth it but I mean from what we said it probably would have been worth it if nothing else for him being a, a sort of impact player and being able to I mean he, he, he could still he could still ping a ball he could still score a goal so he obviously had something to offer I don't think we're anywhere near talking about the Gaza that was I think the issue was is that it came across from Hoddle and whether this is his own PR or the people who were around him at the time or what but it came across as mean spirited 
from him. It didn't feel like it was happening for the right reasons. And you can understand why, you know, he's not going to go out and say, oh, well, Paul's been doing this, Paul's been doing that, because he can't be seen to throw him under the bus in case he needs him later on. Or just on a human level, he can't be seen to do that. But it looked like he was just getting rid of him for the sake of getting rid of him a lot of the time and cutting off his nose to spite his face, I think. Mm. The problem was, I remember this from the Sam, you probably will as well, Gaza didn't half like sort of, I know it was his character, but he sort of liked playing the character that he ended up getting dropped for. You know, he constantly out with, remember he's always out with Danny Baker and Chris Evans. And and Jimmy Firebelly, yeah. Yeah, and you kind of think, you know, I know that was him and it's silly to just say don't do it, but he, it, it's like he paid the price for that. And then I remember when he, was it the first or it was either the first or second week after this happened? He appeared on TFI Friday and they gave him a big kebab and a load of cigarettes and he was in the studio. Sort of, and I thought, I don't know, I suppose his, his reaction was, well, sod it, I'm, you know, I'm not going now anyway. Mm. But it was almost a sort of a little bit... Two um, fingers up. And, yeah. yeah, He almost became thought, a parody of himself, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought. And it, you think, like, you said he might well have got into that squad with injuries or what have you, but it was just... I remember... You know, I'm a big fan of Chris Evans and I love that show, but you know, him parading Gaza through the crowd and everyone slapping him on the back and giving him fags and everything. And I thought, well, you kind of only got yourself to blame there, but then that's a bit of a bigger picture, I suppose. But because um, I'm, I'm a big, big fan of his, but just by this stage, I think it was, a, it, it, he almost made Hoddle's decision easier for him yeah. in certain ways. Yeah. But I'm sure he could have still done a job because that was a pretty decent side, that wasn't it, that went to. 98 and he could have like Joel said if he'd just come on for the old 15-20 minutes here and there I'm sure he would have done a job because mm. was it was that not what he did at, at Borough Joel at this time I mean he wasn't no he was starting games I think and was he, I was mean, he, yeah. he, he went he, he went not long after after that I think he went to Everton uh, maybe for, not it been about 99 I think he went to yeah I think Everton. it was yeah. so certainly had like a, a bit of time with us but um no, he was he was playing games from the start a lot of the time, and you know I've, I've said this a lot of times. We didn't really see him at his best, but then he still had the he still had the ability to get the pass right, to thread through the right ball, and he was a popular lad at the club. But we sort of knew he was on the wane by then, I suppose. It's interesting he took Paul Merson, isn't it? Clearly, obviously not as quite in depth as what was going on in Gaza, but there must have been stories around. Merson had had an outstanding season. Yeah, though. that's true. Um, just following up from what Glenn Hoddle, what he said in his autobiography, when he gave Gaza the decision, he said he snapped. He was ranting, swearing and slow in his word. He was acting like a man possessed. I stood there and turned to go and then he came back with a barrage of abuse. And uh, Gaza said at the time, I wanted Regan to see me play for England at the World Cup. Now I don't know if I'll ever see me in English yet again. It breaks my heart. Obviously, we didn't. He later went on to say in an interview in 2010, I had a situation with my ex-wife, so credit to Hoddle. Even though I had my rouse with him, he probably made the right decision. Uh, well, we've, we've discussed it there. I wanted to ask you the way Hoddle did it, where he had sort of what we know, he got everyone singly in the room and told them if they were in or out. Is that a better way of doing it? than what Gareth Southgate did, for instance, this summer where he obviously phoned them beforehand, then released the squad. Where, where would you stand on it, Joe? Um, I think you should be talking to people beforehand, uh, man to man, tell them, you know, the mm. doors are closed, bloody, bloody, blah, people should get in on merit. And it's just different states of man management. You know, it's going back to what I said earlier, I think a lot of the time we huddle it felt like it was all about him. And obviously he'd been a, a massive star all over the place, you know, and then and then sort of was tipped as being, you know, he was going to be this big progressive forward thinking, 
England manager, which led him to being, you know, making some kooky decisions, shall we say? Yeah, too um, forward thinking in the end. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just think there's a, you know, I'd sort of admired what um, Gareth Southgate did by, you know, ringing them and saying, "Look, you're not getting in, lads. Yeah. Go off, get yourself right." I, I, I thought at the time that was a much better way of, of doing it than. You know, sometimes letting people get the shock of he's the squad and you're not in it. You know, how do you expect people to react? I just think that's disrespectful, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, I, you can see both sides of it. But yeah. I always just thought it, it, it stunk a bit of I'm the boss, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't deal well with authority. Yeah. Matthew, are you a fan of a reserve list? Is there any point? Is it just, just uh... take the 23 and get on with it? So there's different ways of doing it. I mean, it's a decision I'd never, never want to make. Well, I suppose I would for six million quid a year or whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. But, um, but different managers have had different ways of doing it. I, mean, I remember reading that when Kevin Keegan was left out of England for the first time, or the, you know, the last time, he wasn't told, and they basically just—I'm trying to think who it was and when it was. was it wrong, wrong, wrong. Greenwood, maybe. He, I think he just didn't tell him. He just basically just phoned the players that were in, and the rest. Yeah. It was almost like you assumed that if you didn't get the call, you weren't. So there's loads of different ways of doing it, but I suppose he's got this image now of Keegan going up to his phone and picking well, up I'm, the handle. And I'm sure you love. Hello. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you love that image after the, the other week when we spoke about it. <laughs> but um, I suppose it's a, it's all about your different styles, isn't it? But I think if nothing else, Hoddle maybe should have made an exception if Gaza for no one else, just because he must have known how he was going to react. I mean. Um, to take it, they, they well, went... just, just the effect it would have on his psyche. I mean, if yeah. if we would, if we'd all known that in 1998, then him, who's in close proximity to him, a lot of the time you don't, and who knows him, and you know, and I don't know whether their paths crossed at Tottenham. I'm not sure whether they will have done, um, but you know, as somebody who he's known known for all that time, I think. Well, there's certain ways of dealing. With, there's certain ways of dealing with different people, aren't there? I mean, some people, you, if you're all planning to go out or whatever, and you, you don't ring them and you just say, oh, "I'll speak to you later," they can handle that. Whereas there's some people that would be like, you know, yeah. really waiting by the phone, or they would take it badly. They'd take it as a slur. So I suppose Hoddle should really have thought, well, look, you know, if I don't, if I just tell him quietly in the room or wherever, then he's going to be fine. But there's no way Gascoigne's going to react the same way as somebody like, well, I can't think of who else he dropped that in that squad, but. I'd be amazed if, if Hoddle thought that that was going to be the case. It obviously wasn't. Um, Dion Dublin, there's a name I think was in, in that squad. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. See, I, I, not knowing Dion Dublin, but apart from sitting and watching Holmes Under the Hammer. I think by judging by my viewership of Holmes Under the Hammer, uh, I would like to think that he's got a wonderful temperament. I mean, yeah, I well, I think, think exactly. People, yeah. you know, and I think he bought these houses. I think you'd be stupid if you thought Dion Dublin would react to the news the same way as Gazza, or, sh- or, or should that be... Dion Dublin, today on Homes of the Hammer, <laughs> this will make you laugh. <laughs> this will make you laugh. He was sitting in a barber's chair. <laughs> He's got no hair. He's <laughs> a bald man, you see. <laughs> oh, God. I was going to say you've dated the podcast there, but that means people would have to watch, you know, in about 10 years' time when that episode of Home and- Homes of the Hammer is repeated, which they evidently are. Um, but people might think, oh, hang on, when was that podcast recorded again? But the I don't think we... it, you know, they, they chop and change episodes of Homes Under the Hammer, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like yes. They'll, oh, put, they'll put like one, you know, one show, one house from a different show in and sort of yeah. see it's a brand new show. And it isn't, I sit there and go, I think I'm going mental. Well, you must yeah. know this. You must know this more than anyone. If you, how many times do you actually go to watch it and you think, I've seen this one before? I, it happens quite a lot. Especially if yeah. I'm working at home, it's always on at 10 o'clock. 
Yeah, my wife's like that yeah. with Escape to the Country. She can tell from literally the first bit. She's like, oh, I've seen this one. They end up not buying, or they do buy, or they don't buy. So she likes a bit yeah. of Escape to the Country. Escape to the Country isn't good because <laughs> Escape to the Country is baby boomers, rich people with 19 houses who've decided they want to stockpile it. And like, oh, we've got six hundred thousand pounds. Oh no, it makes me sick. Yeah, I sounds know. a bit. Yeah. Sounds a bit like Ash's life because he's escaped to the country now. <laughs> I have nice pictures. How are the cows? You yeah. can tell that by the internet connection. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah, I have to tell, I'm out in the garden trying to get an internet connection, and the cows are looking at me now. I'm not quite escaped to the country, although I'm Tent- surprised we're not doing this podcast by a semaphore. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> Tenson has been on Escape to the Country before. I must say the, the town that I've moved to, but I am nowhere near the uh, the baby boom rich people of six hundred thousand, unfortunately, as much as I would like to be. But there are sheep in the on the back of my house. Yes, there are, which is uh, quite fun. Um, but it's, 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 it's strange for a boy from South East London, put it that way. And my daughter loves it, though. So um, last word on this, then he uh, Gaza's final appearance for England came the nil nil game against Belgium in the warm up game. He ended his England career with 57 caps and 10 goals. But Gaza's England career was no more. So there we go. Uh, Matthew, for the record, Guy Butters played for Tottenham during 88 and 90 and then Portsmouth, Gillingham and Brighton. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I knew he'd play for Tottenham. Yeah, there you go. Kept it southeast, didn't he? Yeah, South End, Oxford, <laughs> yeah. Barnet. Yeah, he, never, he, he didn't go above the yeah Watford Gap. Not at all. He didn't go above the not Watford Gap. Yeah. No, he is a very much southern modern guy. The best. I'm gonna uh, this to people sort of who aren't familiar with London. This is going to be a horrible London story, but it just always makes me laugh. I used to have a I used to have a boss when I first moved here, and he said. Uh, where, whereabouts in London do you live, Joel? And I said, oh, really, really north, London, sort of near Edgware, just around there. And he went, oh, I, I don't know whether I've... Uh, he said, uh, it's quite far north, isn't it? He went, I, I've never really been north. What's it like up north? I went, what, where I'm from? He went, no, where are you from? I've never been further north than Camden. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is very, very southern. <laughs> Yeah, never been north, never been further north than Camden. Genuinely, wow. Wow. <laughs> him, him and Guy Butters. <laughs> yeah, was it Guy Butters you were working for? Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a name I didn't think we'd be talking about tonight. But anyway, let's stick with England. Uh, we're going to 1995. Um, we're gonna we're going into June, third of June, 1995. So we're going to talk in tournaments soon. But this was a pre-tournament. Uh, well, not pre for the following year. It was a practice run for Euro '96. The 1995 Umbro Cup never was repeated. The Umbro Cup. Um, involved England, Japan, Sweden and Brazil. Very eclectic mix. Um, well, wasn't the only game that took part this week in the 90s was the first one, but I don't think the, uh, there's enough to talk about game by game in the next few weeks. So I thought I'd talk about the tournament as a whole. It kicked off on the 3rd of June, England v Japan. Um, as I said, I think I mentioned this on the last show we did when we were talking about England squad. I was there, actually. It was one of my... It was my birth- well, you, you and only... 21,142 yeah. people at, at Wembley. Wembley. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that in my notes well. as well. Yeah. <laughs> we all noticed that. I can't believe it. Yeah. No wonder I got <laughs> cheap tickets for my dad, probably. That's why it was a birthday treat, probably. But, oh, there's not many going. 20, so. what, seriously? 20, I mean, and this is like an England team that's on the ascendancy. We've got Euro 96 coming in a year. All right, Shearer wasn't scoring, but... 20, and this is like when the Premier League's really starting to boot off. Yeah, and, and when they played, and when they played Brazil at Wembley, there was only sixty-seven thousand there, which I know is a, a lot of people. But I get the feeling if that was now, that would probably be always a lot more. A lot, a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, it was, that's there. That's, that's will, what struck me. We were a year away from Euro '96, as you mentioned, Joel. But it, so England won two-one in the first game against Japan. Goals from Darren Anderton and a David Platt penalty. 
But you look at the team, it was very much an experimental team from Terry Venables. I, I like the two up front. The two up front? What about the two in the middle? David Unsworth and John Scowls? There's a partnership I don't think England <laughs> ever saw again. <laughs> but they, they, were, they were around long enough for Corinthian fig figures to be yeah. made in England. Kids that, both of them. David Unsworth had one England cap, yet he got a Corinthian figure. That's, I don't know how he, he swung that one. Um, but Shearer and Collymore up front, yeah, that, that's an, another combination we didn't see very Love often. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Collymore's not a name when we talk about how we go or we sort of moan and moan and moan about the plethora of strikers in the 90s. We always forget Collymore because he was another one that would walk in today's England squad despite his temperament. And I think his talent said, it spoke for itself. It was his, his debut. Um, also, Gary Neville's debut against Japan. Um, I mean, what, what, when I mentioned Umbro Cup, Matthew, what was the first sort of thing that, that came to your mind about this, this tournament? I know what he's going to be for Joel, so that's why I'm saving that Janino bingo card for him in a minute. But what, what are your memories of the Umbro Cup, Matthew? Well, not, not a lot, really, because, you know, it, it, we always say this about the mid-90s. This was this period where I sort of started to just delve into uh, not quite Gazer-esque. Ex-curricular yeah. activities. <laughs> I, I wasn't out with Jimmy Fryberlies, but um, the odd occasion I was out in London and bumped into Chris Evans. But um, no, I, I remembered it. I got it confused. To begin with, I got it confused with the tournament where the Scorpion kick. Uh, that, was just a, that was just a friendly, wasn't yeah, it? it? Yeah. Colombian, yeah. Yeah, but Colombia. And I was thinking, was that the Umbro Cup? But obviously I had to do my thorough research and found out that it wasn't. But um it was. I mean, it was basically essentially a dry run, wasn't it? For yeah, Euro it's 96. like what they do with the um, Confederations Cup but these days, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, although the interesting thing was, all the stadiums weren't the exact stadiums that were used in Euro '96, were they? Because they played some games at Goodison Park, bizarrely. In Forest yeah. as well, I think. Yeah, but they they did play Euro '96 games at Forest. Yeah, but I couldn't work out why they played these games at Goodison and not Anfield. I couldn't work it out, but I assume they'd, I assume they'd um, confirmed the grounds a year before Euro 96 oh, maybe God, not yeah. maybe yeah. well yes I couldn't work that one out but um, other than that now I just uh, I enjoyed looking through like you the, the teams and um, yeah, it was an experimental nature wasn't it to the to the tournament and as always when you look at those experimental teams you always think oh I wouldn't mind seeing that that team in a, or some of those players in in the tournament itself but um but no, I don't really. What I couldn't remember is how I watched these games because a lot of the, the footage I found was John Motson, Trevor Brooking, that kind of thing. But off the top of my head, they, they showed them look. on Sky Live and then they did the highlights on my. Yeah, computer. so the BBC like, would, have, would, yeah. would have had highlights because yeah, I was, was thinking, a sky no, thing. definitely a Sky thing. I was thinking there's no way it was uh, ever live on uh, on BBC, but obviously they they had the highlights package because it was old, uh, good old Mossy and. Mossy and Trevor partnership, but uh, it was good. It was some uh, some interesting games there. Um, yeah. Quite enjoyed looking some back. Some names, but... like some of the mad names that, that that were playing. You know, if you, if you take the England versus Brazil game, which yeah. you know we'll mention the obvious in a bit. In a bit. I mean, England went one 0 up with Lasso, but then the what, a well. were, what a goal as well! What a goal! Lasso's goal. goal. I mean, yeah, unbelievable. And and then you saw it going, well done, are England going to beat Brazil? And of course they didn't because uh, the young lad steps up and takes a free kick. <laughs> Uh, Got by the name of what? Sorry, remember Jolinio. Jolinio. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote down as Janino Paulista, which really annoys me because I'm just like, forget the other one, the one who played for PSG for a bit. Yeah, he Um, he could take a free kick as well though. That one, but yeah, yeah, he's not the proper Janino. Ronaldo and Edmundo. You had obviously we had that England team of that time with Sharon and Platt and blah 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 blah. Sweden. 
I mean, something something that poked out in in this as I was watching, uh, as I was going and doing my research and all the rest of it is uh, Brazil played Sweden, and Juninho has played against Pontius Camargue before. Oh, they got history. I can't, I can't believe that he, you know, he's forgotten all about this. And two years later, we had the situation that we'd have. But I mean, they had. Tell us about that situation. I don't think you've told us that story before. What was this? <laughs> Just the fact that he got marked out of the flipping game. Yeah, oh, yeah that was it, yes. But some of the, some of the players in this Sweden side, uh, Joachim Bjorklund, Pontius Kamak, obviously, Nicholas Alexanderson, who I need you put in my underrated yeah, of the night. Yeah, to go and play uh, Wednesday Larson. in Everton, yeah. Hendrik Larsson was playing for Sweden, Kenneth Anderson, and my, a man with my favourite name of the uh, everybody who played in the tournament for Sweden, the owner of two caps, Dick Lidman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, great, the, the great Dick Lidman, of course. I yeah. think I've got but some what... of that. I think I've got some of that ointment in my bathroom cabinet. <laughs> Dick Lidman. I think it's a euphemism for a condom in Middlesbrough. But I'm not... <laughs> yeah, not Slavia Prague, ex-international, uh, AAK Athens. Yeah, didn't. Yeah, yeah, I think he had two caps, did he, or three? Caps two caps in, in just in nine. Yeah. So it would have been these two, literally, in the Umbro Cup. Yeah, yeah. Him and David Unsworth lasted the uh, the Umbro Cup, and, and and that was it for their international careers. Martin Darlin played in that the first their first game as well, and Thomas Rivelli, the great goalkeeper of Sweden, won a record 126th cap in the, uh, the in the England game. Um, there was quite a little, some little quirks about that England game because uh, when you when Umbro Cup is mentioned, not only do I remember going to the Japan game, I always remember that Darren Anderton goal against Sweden that hit both posts in the ninety. Yes, that's a cracker. What a you, know, you never, you very rarely see a, a ball hit both posts and go in. I think Ferdinand, apart from Paul Dickov in the <laughs> yeah, but he didn't, he didn't really want that to happen in that occasion. Les Ferdinand did it once at St James's Park, uh, but not quite as emphatic as a Darren Anderton's goal in this one at Ellen Road. Um, and then Sheringham, Dean Sheringham's first England goal, which I didn't realise as well, was in that game. That was the first time he'd notched for the Free Lions. Um, terrible game for, for Tim Flowers. We put Tim Flowers in our England squad of the 90s last week and he had a terrible game in this. The first mistake for the first goal where he kind of spilled it to Mild uh, and then he got lobbed for the second as well. So yeah, not a great game for Tim Flowers. Um, but I, th- I think it's a fun tournament. Oh, you mentioned those names, Joel, and the Brazil team like, and those goal scorers. I mean, you didn't even mention like Dunga, Roberto Carlos. It, it was Cafu was there, Leonardo. It was a very much an all-star team that was that come from 94 and and when you've got Colin Cooper making his England debut against that like, it does sort of tell you how far England were away from, from Brazil at that time. But obviously this is the team that went so close to uh, a year later. Even Gareth Southgate came into the team at that point. So poor old Scowls, Cooper and Unsworth didn't kind of see the the end of, of that run, did they? But yeah, overall, I'm, I don't know about you gents, I thought it was quite an entertaining tournament. I've got a, I've got a question. Go on. You'll know. You'll know the answer being... A, it's not a quiz question. I genuinely no. don't know the answer. Okay. Um, was everyone wearing Umbro kit? Uh, Brazil would have been... Yes, England were, obviously Sweden yeah. will have been. Would yeah. Japan? That's the question. Oh, of the, yeah, that's very niche, so I'm not off the top of my head. Because I would imagine they would be I wearing Adidas as the team. I think, they, no, I think they were. I think I read that earlier. It was part of the... Are you sure Sweden were? Are they definitely... Because I'm thinking they, Sweden. They tend to wear Umbro, yeah, or they did. No, well, Sweden in ninety Euro World Cup ninety four had that classic Adidas. Adidas one, yeah. Um, equipment kit, didn't they? They the definitely had Umbro at one point. We need, do you know what I need in front of me? And it's up in my office, which is now locked. John Devlin. John Devlin's book, which is about <laughs> international in football shirts. So you should have, usually have that in front of me, but it's actually in my office and I'm in the kitchen at the moment. So my daughter doesn't hear me when to wake up. Um, I don't, yeah, I have to, have to look into that one because I think Sweden may still have been an Adidas. 
let's have a look at them. Well, it's just it's just came to me that I can just picture them in that Adidas equipment kit with the stripes from. Uh, was it? No, that's it it nice, apparently. Was it? Yeah. Well, either way, it wasn't Umbro. Mm. Yeah, we go. Yeah, it was. There's uh, Henrik Larsson and Darren Anderson. Yeah, it's an yeah, and yeah, there we go. Adidas kit. Do you think what came first? Do you think they thought we'll draw? Yeah, we'll see. We'll ask all these teams that wear Umbro, and if one of them says no, then we're screwed. I don't. Yeah. I, I was trying to find somewhere how they came about these these three teams, and well, I couldn't. Were, I couldn't find the link. Well, Brazil, Brazil were world champions. Yeah. So they wouldn't have had anybody to play in terms of World Cup qualification, or uh, or the other one. What's it called? Copa America, I guess. Yeah. Uh, England obviously had their own, were qualified as hosts for the next one. So you've got to imagine, you know, Japan and Sweden. Did Sweden come to Euro 96? Yes, they did. Yeah. It's, a, um, yeah, it's an interesting. I mean, and the Japan kit was Adidas as well. One of those classic, yeah. all over the, you know, ridiculousness of the era kits, which I love. So, yeah, it wouldn't have been, that could have been the link, but you no, know, it wasn't. So it was just, I think it's just because it was in England. Obviously, England were made by Umbro at the time. They had that. Indigo flashed kit with for Euro '96, but no, the other two were so Adidas. So really, it was Adidas v Umbro in that in that tournament, which uh, um, Umbro won because England and Brazil came first and second in the kind of the grouping as it was, and Brazil actually won the tournament. So yeah, there you go. So someone tweet us to, to tell us why those teams are changed, and we're gonna I'm gonna delve deeper into that to find out why. But yeah, it was an interesting mix of teams, and I kind of like those tournaments more than friendlies. I don't know about you guys. I think they least make them slightly more competitive what do you reckon Matthew yeah I think so uh, it's stupid isn't it because they're not really any more yeah. competitive but it, I think what what makes them great is if you're looking forward to a tournament and then this is the one that precedes it like a World Cup or in this case Euro 96 so everyone was gearing up for Euro 96 and obviously most of us had never really seen a or certainly us three hadn't seen a, uh, a major tournament in this country so it was just sort of wetting the appetite wasn't it and, and essentially you could have had these teams just playing friendlies but it, it was, there's something about that dry run and going to the grounds that you're going to be seen in the tournament and even though Everton wasn't in it for some reason um, so yeah I remember I remember loads of them going back I remember I remember them being there was one prior to Mexico 86 there was you know obviously the tournoi and, oh, we'll you know, talk about that the, in a couple of weeks yeah but um, no it's just it's just a classic sort of Warm up, isn't it? They, so they, they mean nothing, but um, but uh, you always get that thing when a team wins it, and then everyone thinks, "Oh, is it an omen?" And is it a sign of things to come? But it's it's effectively a charity shield, isn't it? An international charity shield. But any excuse. And who would have thought, twenty odd years later, that three people would be sat <laughs> chatting about the Umbro Cup? Eh? <laughs> the organisers would be very, very happy. There's a nice England kit in this one as well, the away kit that they wear in the Brazil game. And I always remember that picture of a young Ronaldo wearing it where they'd swap shirts at the end of the game. And Does, does Janino wear it as well, Joel? Is there a picture of Janino? Have I made that up in my head? There may, um, be, there may be a picture of him wearing that England shirt because they all swap shirts at the end of the game. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I seem to remember that, but I, I couldn't say off the top of my head. Yeah, but it is obviously the game that... Uh, Saw Janino make his way to to Middlesbrough at the uh, beginning of the next season. After well, that. we talked about this last week, yeah, didn't we? Yeah. It's when Brian Robson first he first appeared on Brian Robson's radar. There we go. Known. So it's, an, it's an, a massively important part of nineties football, the Umbro Cup. That for that reason and that reason alone. Um, well, that's been this week in the nineties. Um, there was some stuff about Bridhelly and Chelsea, but we've talked about that before but he, he came this week in the 90s but we'll we'll get to that at some point I'm sure um, it all remains me to say is where you can find my fellow comrades on the social media firstly Matthew where can people find you well I assume you're talking on social media not yeah. 
not just hanging generally around. in the pub if you're yeah, yeah. without without Wellsby yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> other than that uh, if that fails then you can find me on Twitter at Matthew J Christ what we got coming up this week any and uh, 90s based articles lot, yeah I'm doing a lot of specials uh, for the World Cup in June mm. I've just just nailed down all the pieces I'm doing today actually first piece I've I did earlier on on the uh, it's not 90s base but the uh, Battle of Santiago which is one of the funniest video clips you'll ever see from the 62 World Cup I assume you've seen that before I have seen that keep it at 60s Chilly. yeah yeah but other than that there'll be pieces on uh, Italy 90 and various bits and pieces that I'm sure you'll all be familiar with but it's always good to revisit a bit like the Umbro Cup you know exactly. weeks leading up weeks leading up to a World Cup it's always a great excuse to uh, produce old uh, old throwbacks to um any, World Cups. any excuse to mention Colin Cooper playing for England. Uh, Joel, where can people find you? Uh, everything is at Joel Baby Herc. Herc with a C. There you go. There we go. No Top of the Pops. How's Top of the Pops doing? Uh, no, we're in Jennifer Rush territory now. Oh. So you turned off. Are you boycotting it now, are you? Well, it's, I mean... Well, you're not, because I know you're not, because you're always it moaning really, about it. It's just really angered me. It's, it's really funny that nearly, what, 33 years after that song first came out, I still hate it with the vitriol that I had <laughs> as for it as a nine-year-old kid. I just, it traumatised me, that song. I absolutely love and detest it. I think it goes to number one and it's number one for four weeks. It's like, uh, but everybody knows I hate that song. So like everyone's been like messaging me and texting me going, oh, your song's on. Like, no, I hate this song. Even now, you know, like there's a lot of things that I, I hated when I was a kid that I don't mind now. And, and certainly loads of songs, but no, that one still, oh my goodness me, what a rotten record. So that and Kevin Keegan, things to not mention on the uh, podcast. Yeah, well, I don't mind talking about it, but I'd talk about Keegan. What about can... Kevin Keegan singing Jennifer Rush? That, that sounds like your <laughs> that worst nightmare. That would be terrible. That would be quite He bad. probably would. He'd probably give it a good go. Have you ever seen videos of his, his single? Of his chat? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. He's yeah. a bit of a pop star, didn't he, old Kev? Look at that. We've bookended yeah. the podcast with talking about football songs. How brilliant are we? Without in, unintentional brilliance, that was. As, as always here on Alive and Kicking, I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Until next time, keep it 90s. Alive and kicking.